Welcome back to Shreya and Yanin's podcast. After a very long break. Yeah, hello. <laughs> we missed you guys so much. Yep.、Uh, it's really been a while. And I think, well, at least I think I got really busy.、Um, but I'm excited to like, keep doing this and keep talking with Shreya about theology and culture. And、um, yeah, today we're talking about pol- pol-、uh, political theology, is what we're talking about today. And I'm very excited about it. <laughs> yes. Yanin, tell me where you are right now. Yeah, so I'm in New Jersey.、Um, I just graduated from Moody about a month and a half ago now. And、uh, now I am going to be starting my MDiv program at Princeton Seminary here in New Jersey. So I'm super excited. Woo woo! Yeah. <laughs> super, super pumped and glad to be here. So, where are you, Shreya? I am in Jos, Nigeria, in a very beautiful city. I'm doing my internship here with Wycliffe Bible Translators, but、um, here it's SIL Nigeria, which is a sister ministry, but very exciting linguistic stuff happening.、Here. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you having fun? Yes, I'm having so much fun. I've been learning Hausa, which is a language that's spoken here.、Um, and yeah, just exploring, having a good time, learning a lot. Super cool. Great. Now,、um, yeah, we're here、uh, speaking over Zoom, <laughs>、uh, split between、uh, two continents and talking about theology. So I'm very excited about this. This will be fun.、Um, so, to provide more context, Uh, Shreya and I took a class together. So, my last semester, well, my final semester at Moody, which was last semester,、um, I took a course called Political Theology, and Shreya was also in it. And、uh, our professor, Dr. Farma, was the one who taught it. And、uh, it was just a, like a very fun time, I think. It was a very fun time. A lot of really hard and challenging conversations happened. Uh, a lot of really interesting and also like really illuminating readings,、uh, both readings that、uh, we agreed on as a, as a class and readings that we had problems with. Like, all of it was really edifying. And so,、um, yeah. And so, I don't know, Shreya, could you tell、uh, me more about just like what your experience was with the class and maybe like certain theologians that you really enjoyed, how that was helpful for you? Specifically, in your context as someone who is Indian American? Yeah, of course. Honestly, taking political theology for the first time, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't even know what political theology meant. And I came to class the first day and realized that was the point of the class <laughs> to figure out what is political theology. And I think many of us came with that same question. And throughout, The class, I think one big thing that we all realized is that there are many political theologies, plural. And so, one of the best parts of the class was exploring the diversity in thought、um, that people bring to the table when they're talking about political theology from their context. Because when you look at the world on a global scale, there's so many different types of government systems. And then, even throughout the course of history, Um, a lot of current events and like large political ideas、um, tend to take shape 
in history and I, I found that out throughout the class because you can look at colonial history, you can look at um, different histories during war, like World War One, World War Two, um, and within these spaces, theologians are at work and they're trying to make sense of their context and how really the church relates to the world around us. And so for me, that was very fascinating, um, especially, I, and this is going off on a tangent, but I really enjoyed, um, I felt like every other theology that we read was liberation theology um, because that was such a common theme in political theology. And so um, being exposed to that for the first time was very refreshing and very enlightening, I would say. But what about you? I'm curious to hear your general thoughts and perceptions of political theology. Was it something you were familiar with already or were some was some of it um, you were being exposed to for the first time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating because, I mean... Um, one of the most, or two of the most important theologians for me that I read during my time at Moody was James Cone and Karl Barth. And I mean, they're two of the reasons why. Yes. <laughs> like, they're two of the reasons why uh, I'm going to seminary here at Princeton is to study both uh, Barth and Cone. Um, and it's really fascinating to, like, read them in, in that class because... Before coming to the class, I really didn't know what political theology was exactly. Of course, I knew like it had something to do with politics and something to do with theology and maybe the intersection of both. But I didn't really know the field, if that makes sense. I didn't know the research that was being done by political theologians and public theologians. And so it was really fascinating to actually like. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, quickly to interrupt. Can you explain, is there a difference between political theology and public theology? That's a really good question that uh, I am still struggling to understand because I think, um, I mean, overall, the class was political theology, not so much public theology. Um, but from the very little that I know, there is a difference between the two of them. Um, I think political theology uh, really wrestles with the reality of political contexts, I think. Um the reality of what is political. Um, it talks about systems and economies and uh, structures and so on and so forth and how theology plays into particular systems and contexts, especially uh, in their political nature. Uh, whereas I feel like public theology uh, wrestles more with the, the kind of the reality of the public sphere, uh, you know, as we've conceived it in modernity and how theology plays into what is public. And so obviously there's an overlap between the two of them. I just uh, think that there's like that nuance between it. I don't know if that makes sense, but what, what do you think? Yes, that helps a lot. Um, honestly, I didn't know the difference, but now that you explain it, I can see how what we were reading was in the broader sense, political theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely agree with yeah. you. Yeah, um, I think if you guys are really interested in learning more about public theology, I I literally know very, very, very little about public theology. So um, you guys could check out um, like our good friend, Omar Peterman. He is a public the a theologian and a public historian. Um, and he... Shout out to Omar <laughs> Peterman. Shout out to Omar. He, um, 
he is very uh, involved in the work of doing public theology. And so, uh, yeah, just go check him out. He has a newsletter um, on Substack, and he also has a book being written right now uh, through Erdman's. And um, yeah, he's also just a prolific writer uh, through Sojourners and a columnist. Mm-hmm. So just go check out his work. He has a lot on public theology. Yeah, I'm reading through... I'm reading through his master's thesis on reviving American evangelicalism, which is so fascinating as um, for myself as someone that's American, um, but also has struggled with the American church and the evangelical church. So definitely love what Amar Peterman is doing with that. Yeah, yeah. Which I think, okay, so with that piece... um... That's kind of like the interesting thing I think that I learned the most from political theology was just like wrestling with American evangelicalism at large as a structure. Yes. Uh, the political nature of it and the political reality. I think what's really fascinating is that both Bart and Cohn, you know, my guys, like they they really, uh, I think in their uh, kind of like cultural and social context have been really wrestling with the reality of what it means to be an evangelical for Bart that was in Nazi Germany and for Cohn that was in, you know, the civil rights movement here in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And so um, ah, that's the thing about political theology. Yeah. How can we translate that? How can we translate that to today? Because Bart is a 20th century German theologian and Cohn is 20th century black theologian. But here we are um, in the 21st century and we're both Asian Americans, and this is something you knew that I wanted to bring up. Um, Oftentimes, I find myself asking, what does it even mean to be evangelical anymore? Do I identify as an evangelical? Um, Because there's so many different denominations in the church, and I think there's been historically different ways to define what it means to be evangelical, but... What does it mean for a 21st century Asian American to be an evangelical? Yeah. Um, and so, okay, that's really fascinating because if we talk about Barton Cohn, right, um, both of them are could be considered and have been considered by people today as evangelical theologians, right? Um, in many ways, like both of them are seen as contemporary church fathers, if we may even call them that. Um, and I've seen them been called that, like they are, (laughs) uh, people who we've relied on, who many theologians today, evangelical theologians are relying on for, uh, their own theological projects. And so what's really fascinating is that even though some consider them evangelicals, there are others who don't consider them evangelicals. And I think it's because Bart and Cohn are doing evangelical theology within their contexts, right? Um, I think that's, uh, I really like what James Cohn says about uh, kind of like his method, right, of doing theology. He says that all theology is contextual. It's always coming from place and land in particularity. Um, that's the whole project of the Christian imagination by Willie Jennings. That's what Dr. Jennings is wanting to show us, right, is that theology is coming from land and place. In many ways, I think he might be getting that from Cohn, uh, though not as explicitly. But anyway, um And so in being evangelical, uh, I think that the word evangelical is actually not as monolithic or homogenous as we have originally conceived it to be, maybe. Um, I think there's actually a lot more 
broadness and diversity to what it means to be evangelical like for me as a filipino american or not filipino american as a filipino migrant in the u.s like i am constantly like realizing how different my evangelicalism is in the philippines from the evangelicalism here you know and i'm sure you kind of feel that in your own way and so um that's uh by the way just to point back to amar's thesis on american evangelicalism uh, or reimagining evangelicalism that's this whole thesis is that uh, we need to begin wrestling with the reality that not all evangelicals have the same experiences based on their social location and social particularities and so um yeah i'm curious what you think about that what do you think yeah um i feel like we have very different experiences in this way as well because um i grew up a hindu and i the only evangelicalism i've ever known is i would say like white conservative america um which that context in itself is is very niche when you compare it to like global christianity um one of the blessings of being here in nigeria actually is being exposed to um different forms of christianity different forms of even just like evangelicalism um, and one of the blessings I would say is actually meeting expat missionaries here. So they're not Nigerian, but they're they're not from America either. They're from the UK or they're from Australia or um, maybe like South Africa or just different places. And what they're bringing is not American evangelicalism. And so that is fascinating to me because the only church I've ever known is the American church. Um, And so I'm trying to branch out and understand the ways that the the American church has been formed, particularly throughout the course of its history, makes so much sense as to why there are the theological formations and the tensions that we have today. Like, For example, race, which is something that we've talked about and brought up in this podcast before. Race does not, like, translate the same way in all parts of the world. And here in Nigeria, um, yes, Nigeria was colonized until 1960. Mm. And that's when they got their independence from the British, which, similarly enough, like, I can kind of relate to that as someone that's Indian and... My country was colonized until 1947. Um, But the way that race works here is not the same as in the U.S. And I'm I'm for the first time like seeing that because before I think I was more on the side of like being colorblind. And now I can see like there are problems that exist on a global scale in terms of race, but American racism it just is very different and I would say it plays out more blatantly and more tense um, than in other contexts although I would say it is a global and colonial phenomenon Um, but all that to say American Christianity we have to deal with that we have to answer those questions because if we take the praxis out of our theology and we're just dreaming up this sort of abstract evangelicalism that we can just somehow apply everywhere, it's not going to work. 
And so evangelicalism in the U.S. needs to be willing to wrestle with the tense questions of like race and colonialism in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with you here. And I think that I love what you said about not separating doctrine from practice, right? Uh, because we're all evangelicalism, all, all, we're all evangelicals, and we all in many ways find commonality and kinship uh, through the doctrines that we hold dear, you know, whether that's uh, holding fast to the Word of God, the Bible, and um, or whether that's social activism, which has been part, always part of the evangelical movement in many ways, historically. And so, uh, you know, there's the whole Bebbington uh, quadrilateral as well. Like we, oh, yes. we hold to these, yeah, we're holding to these doctrines and we all share these common shared values as evangelicals. But what's really interesting, again, is to see the difference in how they're practiced based on where you are. Like, uh, one thing I'm really wrestling with as a Filipino here in the U.S. is to see the stark difference between how evangelicalism is practiced here uh, among white evangelicals specifically and how evangelicalism is practiced in the Philippines uh, in a neo-colonial context. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Because I think we've been talking about this very abstractly and some people that have only ever been in one context might be like, what are they talking about? Can you give me an example of like how it's practiced in the Philippines versus in the U.S.? Yeah. Like, or maybe the way that they perceive certain things within the church. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, and so, I mean, uh, the, the reality is that uh, in the Philippines, um, we have been colonized multiple times. And we have been not only colonized multiple times, but we've also been really like politically and socially and economically dependent on structures in the West, uh, whether that's the U.S. or whether that's Spain, <laughs> even further back. Um, and even like uh, if we look at World War II, like Japanese occupation, like we have been yeah, under colonial influence for centuries. And so what's really interesting is that despite all these different uh, colonial operations in the Philippines, what's happening today, especially among evangelicals, um, and I work for an organization called the Institute for Studies in Asian Church and Culture. Um, been doing writing and research with them. And so it's really interesting to see how they are speaking out against colonialism. And this is how evangelicalism looks uh, in the Philippines, not in general, but there are definitely like a lot of evangelicals in the Philippines who are standing up against colonial oppression and saying like, no, we, we don't want to be white. We don't want to be American. We are Filipino and this is who we are. Um, and so there's all the activism in many ways, evangelical activism looks different there. And then when I moved here to the States, it was really interesting to see kind of like the binaries that have been formed in evangelicalism, the binaries of conservative and progressive, uh, the binaries of white and black, the binaries of, uh, you know, that, that have been formed, uh, you know, with the moral majority and the religious right in the early, like, 1970s, you know, uh, with the formation of those kind of, like, political movements. And it's really interesting to see how evangelicalism in the U.S. is just so different, especially in the past, like, I think six years uh, with the rise of Donald Trump as president. Like, that, um, that really, I think, exposed for me the reality of evangelicalism in the U.S. being different, um, especially among white evangelicals. And so, um, so that's kind of like a staunch difference, I think, between 
how evangelicalism looks in two different places. And so, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Um, and so how, how do you, how are you thinking about those things specifically coming from your context? Um, I know you've shared a little bit, but I'm curious uh, with you, because uh, I know you've grown up in a lot of like, uh, those kind of like white evangelical spaces in the U.S., but yeah, how how have you navigated through those things, especially now? Um, yeah, in kind of where you're at in life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like one thing that I've been doing personally is learning more about Indian Christianity, reading Indian theology, um, and even learning about like Indian churches and. I want to be specific to say like that in the plural because there's so many different denominations that are present in India and it's not a one-to-one correspondence to the denominations that exist in the U.S. And what's, yeah, what's really interesting is that there's even denominations in India that have existed for centuries. Um, Like, for example, the church of St. Thomas, Martoma, like that church traces its roots back to like the legend of St. Thomas and, and it's just like the Ethiopian church and how they also trace their roots back. And, and I have friends in that denomination and they have taught me so much about what, what it means to be an Indian Christian and the ways in which, um, they are they are practicing faithfully but then also that church has its problems as well and the problems manifest differently um but it all kind of centers around similar ideas of like being too inward focused being too isolated from like the culture and the society around you um specifically in the indian context it's there's like a lot of religious pluralism. And so that can kind of give off an idea that um, the church needs to be separate and distinct, but sometimes that can be taken too Mm -hmm. far um, because then they're not being able to witness to the people around them. And also it's kind of stifling their ability to love and have compassion and empathy for the people around them and those communities around them are not being welcomed in. Mm. Um, And so I think like the question for an Indian Christian, um, especially an evangelical is to be able to translate those tenets of the faith, be able to translate what it looks like to evangelize, but not seem like what you believe is makes you better than the next person um and so how can you have like better interfaith dialogue that levels the playing field and puts value and dignity into the voices of the people around Mm. you because if you're not able to do that then they will not be able to listen or hear you because if you're not willing to listen and hear them and see them first then there's not a dialogue there's not an open dialogue um and so I think a lot of those questions are the the types of questions that I've been wrestling with 
as an Indian Christian um, to, to really contextualize my faith. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. Um, this is making me more curious, I think, about like kind of the question of what now, you know, like, okay, we're realizing how just the whole reality of like social location and context, what James Cone talks about, the all theology is contextual. Uh, what Karl Barth talks about of like um, every theological question is inherently a political question. Like you just can't separate those things, you know? And so yes. it's just making me curious now. And I, I know we're running out of time and maybe we can continue this in the next episode, but just a question of like, what now though? Like we have so much diversity in evangelicalism and both of us, even like me as a Filipino and you as an Indian living in the U.S. in our diaspora communities and realizing like, wait, the gospel is demanding us to do things in very specific ways that might be different from the dominant evangelical culture here in the U.S. What does that look like? Um, yeah, and I'm curious, uh, maybe we can explore that in the next episode, but this has been really, really good. And I think, um, yeah, just thank you for sharing just kind of your thoughts and your experiences. And um, yeah, I'm excited to keep talking about this more in a future episode. Yeah, I'd love to dig deeper into what this looks like practically and even sifting through examples in our own personal lives where we've seen this done poorly, but we've also seen it done well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We're again, very thankful to have you guys and thankful for your support. And yeah, see you in the next episode. Yes, thank you guys. See you.